This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to episode 101 of Aviation Careers Podcast. You know, it's been a little while since we've uh, actually put out a podcast. It's been a couple of weeks. And one of the reasons is I've been doing quite a bit of red-eye flying and haven't been able to catch up on some of the podcasts. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Red-eye flying and flying overnight. We're also going to answer some more of your questions. Before we begin, I want to introduce my co-host here today who's joining me, Tom Wachowski. Welcome, Tom. Hey, Carl. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's wonderful having you here. And I you know, it's been amazing what's been going on lately, Tom. I've been doing quite a bit of, uh, we talk about career coaching a lot here, career coaching and interview preparation, especially for folks going to the regionals. And, you know, Tom, there's a lot of folks that are really interested in aviation as a career, and it really excites me. It excites me to see people actually pursuing their goals, pursuing their dreams. And I'm sure you appreciate that also. Yeah, it's fun to see people get fired up in this industry because as you've talked about uh, on previous shows, our pipeline's drying up. So it's good to see people get excited and energized to get in the business. Yeah, pipeline's uh, drying up, but the interest is now there, which I think is awesome. And that's what yeah, we need to do. Yeah. Is keep but we've got a lag time, though. So we yes, still we have do. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. It has, it doesn't, you don't make a pilot overnight. It takes a while. Huh. And, and that's what we're trying to do. Another thing is we're going to try to get more podcasts out. Uh, I've changed my schedule uh, back to a normal day schedule. So I should be able to record more because I found out by doing red eyes, even though I get paid a little extra, I actually don't get to talk to people because they want to talk while it's daylight, not in the middle of the night, which is understandable. <laughs> so, uh, so I do apologize to the folks that have been asking, "Hey, where you know where have you been?" Uh, but if uh, if you're catching up on these, it just doesn't it doesn't matter as much to you. But I know what it's like. We're going to try to to do thirty minute shows as opposed to an hour show, and and get as many out as we can for you because it really is something that's inspiring people to move forward in the careers. Uh, also, just a, a quick note uh, as far as coaching is concerned, career coaching uh, to the those folks that are listening that are the coaching clients of mine, uh, it's a good idea to sign up for the newsletter because uh, uh, that's on the website, aviationcareerspodcast.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. Anybody can because a lot of times when we have new webinars coming out or new coaching products or, or new interview products, we'll put that in the newsletter. So make sure you sign up for that. And, uh, and also, if you are one of our coaching clients, you have access to that coaching part of our website and also the ability to actually schedule us for coaching sessions. Uh, normally with me, but every so often when it's another type of interview uh, for another airline, I do have somebody else that coaches for those uh, other airlines that we have interviews for. So anyway, let's get started with today's episode. And it's uh, one thing that uh, a lot of people have asked about, and that is red-eye flying and flying at night. There are certain careers and certain airlines that you work for that all you do is fly overnight, or it seems like all you do is fly overnight. A lot of people associate night flying and red-eye flying with just the the cargo carriers, but that's, that's not true. They also, uh, rec- a lot of people recognize red-eye flying and night flying as people that are involved in the airlines and people that are involved in cargo. But, you know, even the corporate world, they also have red-eye flying, don't they, Tom? 
It does happen. We sure do. <laughs> and Tom's going to tell us a little bit about his experience. But let's go back and, re- and define this, what we call red-eye flying. And that's usually um, defined as, as something that's happening overnight, flying overnight. It's a, it's a loosely defined term. Uh, there's no official term for it. But it normally means that you're flying overnight. Uh, say you start your trip usually around 10 p.m., 11 p.m. or so, and you fly till say, 8 in the morning or 5 in the morning. So you're flying when everybody else is sleeping. And also, it has to do with your time clock, uh, whether you're flying, doing red-eye flying or not. So, for instance, if you were to go over to Europe, you know, that's great. You get there, it's morning, but you're going to bed when it's morning there. And so that's your, you just did a red-eye, and it really does affect your body. So you have to prepare for that. So let's talk, let's get some specifics as far as the schedule is concerned. I've been doing, I switched my schedule last month uh, to do a lot of transcons going from the East Coast to the West Coast and back to the East Coast and back to the West Coast. And it really is quite challenging if you do those over and over, but also change your shift. In other words, change the time that you fly. So I'll, I'll get... I'll get there to work at, say, I don't know, about 10 a.m., fly to the West Coast and have the evening to go and do things. And then I'll stay in a hotel till the following evening and then do a red-eye back to the East Coast. Then I'll I'll sleep all day and then do another red-eye back to the West Coast. So it's it's kind of shifting things around. The, the hardest thing is the day sleeps where you actually come in, you land at, say, 6 or 7 in the morning, and then you go to bed, and then you have to wake up again the same day at, like, 10 o'clock at night and do another flight out to the West Coast. And that, if you're used to doing those over and over and over again, and I know I have lots of friends that do them every every day or every other day, and they absolutely love them because they're, they've become accustomed to that type of flying. But if you're not used to that and you don't do red eyes or you're the type of person that just can't do that, uh, you might want to look at the type of career you're going into and type of airline you're going to fly for and see how much red-eye flying that they actually do and how much night flying. You know, there's another interesting term a lot of people use, and some people call it a pink eye where you're really not flying <laughs> all night long. But it, but say you start and you, you, you start at like 11 p.m., you finish at like 2, 3 in the morning. You're not really flying all, all night, but we kind of consider that half a red-eye or a pink eye, as they say. <laughs> So, Tom, you know, let's talk a get get some specifics as far as red eye flying in the airlines. For instance, um, even at the regionals, I was doing red eye flying out to like Los Angeles. Then uh, I would start my Los Angeles trip at eleven p.m., fly down to Mexico, get there at two or three in the morning, then fly over to say Houston and land at like six in the morning. How about you? Have you had experience uh, with the regionals doing red eye flying? And also, what has your experience been? with the corporate world? In the regional world, I can't really say that I did that as a pilot. However, and this is something I think for the listeners to really consider when they're looking at this as a career, I did it a whole bunch in the regionals as a commuter. And so I would commute out of uh, Phoenix or quite often Los Angeles uh, to the East Coast. And I'll tell you the one thing I learned, the big takeaway, and you can probably attest to this, uh, and I'm sure there's studies, I can't point to one right now, but I'm convinced that it takes time off your life. I mean, it was brutal. Uh, now, sure, it enabled me to live where I wanted, but it was absolutely brutal. So not so much as a pilot, uh, just because our routes were mainly East Coast, unlike you who were, you were flying out West and down into Mexico. East Coast routes, we didn't, you know, the, the, uh, the way 
the curve of the earth and the rotation around the city just doesn't work, right? When you're flying up and down the East Coast. But going west and east, it comes into play. Never did it there. Now in corporate, uh, you know, I think it depends on where you are in the, let me rephrase it, business aviation industry. Charter guys, I think, can see a number of red eyes. Uh, I don't think I know. Uh, having flown charter red eyes, you see in quite a bit. Now, when you move into more of the 91 owner corporation flying, you do see them, but they're, but they're a lot less. You know, a lot of wealthy people don't want to be up all night, and a lot of executives don't want to be up all night. So it'll be a rare circumstance. It does happen, but it'll be a rare circumstance where you do a red eye. What would be an example in, say, the corporate world uh, where you would be doing a red eye? Like, what type of mission would you be accomplishing? Yeah, I can think of one. This was a number of years ago, but uh, executive had a meeting in L.A., and uh, the next morning he had breakfast on the East Coast. So finished the meeting in L.A. right around. It was actually a dinner meeting. And uh, wrap that up, hop on the plane, zip over to uh, the East Coast for, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what the meeting was in the East Coast, but he had to be there in the morning. Uh, so he slept while we flew. And uh, so it happens. And, uh, you know, it's rare, but it just depends, I think, on the type of person you're flying. Because some executives are go get, they don't sleep, literally. I mean, they'll go, 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 go. Uh, and some executives value not doing that. So it depends on, you know, your principal and what he values or she values. But as the pilot, it's really important for you to sleep. Yeah, it's key. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, because I don't do them much, what I do now, uh, since I'm able to have kind of prep time and I know these things are coming and, you know, it's different on the private jet, you kind of have your own place and you have your stuff right there. It's not like an airliner where it's maybe secured somewhere and you can't get to it. I do a lot of prep. So I will sleep. I will adjust my sleep schedule at least 24 hours prior. Uh, I, and maybe I'm a little crazy, but I'll wear compression socks uh, just to kind of stack the odds in my favor, I will stop at the gas station on the way to this trip and I'll buy, you know, a couple of huge waters and I will drink those, uh, prior to the trip and during the trip, uh, got to get up a number of times, but I think it's key to being hydrated. And the, and the final thing I do personally is I will, as we start the descent, maybe coming through, uh, you know, 25, 20,000, I'll suck on the oxygen for a few minutes. And I found all those really help. Uh, in terms of raising my alertness, because you know, let's not let's not uh, dance around the topic. You're tired. I don't care how much prep you did. Uh, those things seem to be very helpful in, in just getting me feeling good about uh, you know shooting the approach and doing it all safely. I think uh, it, preparing for. Uh, your red eye flying and your night flying is really important. I'm glad you talked about that. Some of the things that, for instance, I will do is I will make sure I get rest. Uh, yeah. It's very tempting, especially when you go to a destination that has really a lot of attractions, <laughs> to go out and enjoy yourself all day long, but you have to discipline yourself. You know, I was in Reno, and I really wanted to see this car museum. So yeah. I said to myself, listen, I'm going to give myself two hours to see the museum, that's it. I cut it off, and i got to go back and go to sleep, and sleep for at least six to eight hours and so I can be ready for that red eye on the way back. Because not only are you doing a red eye, sometimes it can be really challenging red eye. You've got, yeah. you've got wind, yeah. you've got wind shear, you've got s snow, ice, rain. Yeah. Uh, you know, For that red eye, I had ice pellets on one end in New York, and then we had snow and rain in Reno. Yeah. And so you had both sides of that. You're, you have a challenging takeoff and a challenging landing. Yeah, you need to mentally get yourself ahead of the airplane, so to speak, way before you get on the airplane for these types of trips. But, you know, I, I've done it to myself. I mean, I, I realized, you know, I was uh, recently 
in Aruba where I had a flight. It was a night flight, so it wasn't really a red eye. It was almost like a pink eye where I would I would get up and start my trip later in the day, but it's tempting when you're in that type of destination yeah. to go snorkeling and spend hours snorkeling or hours in, in the ocean, and you have to really say to yourself, gosh, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to spend just a couple hours at the beach and a couple hours doing some, some exercising, but then get myself a good nap. I find napping is really important. Huge. Yeah. And, and being able to relax. It, and it takes two things, I think, that, uh, you know, it, for, for listeners, I think a couple of takeaways here would be, you know, one, it takes discipline. You know, you were saying, hey, I'd love to go snorkeling, but I, I got to get some sleep. That's not an easy thing to do, uh, especially when it's your first time there, right? Oh, sure. And I think the other thing is professionalism. I mean, it, you know, let's face it, part of this profession is doing the things that you might not want to do, but that you should do in order to deliver the best product and service to your company, to your customer, to your uh, crew, et cetera. And I think you hit the nail on the head with that. And you have to think about your passengers. You know, if you're flying your family, would you be out all day exploring the sites or would you be resting getting ready for that flight? Um, I think you know the answer to that. You know, you'd be preparing for that flight. But but with that said, you have to say to yourself, okay, again, with the discipline, the professionalism, I will be at this destination again. I will yeah, build this, right. and I will go see those other things. There's just so much you can do in yeah. one day. And that's happened with me with doing Red Eyes. I said, you know, I want to do a, this podcast. I want to do this these coaching sessions, and I just, just wore myself out yeah. because I had to get some sleep. And How how. How bad is it when you're tired? You know, you're three hours into a six-hour trip or oh. two into a – isn't it the worst? It is. You it's know, the worst. <laughs> and, and so let's talk a little bit about that. Now, we've talked about preparing. Now, during the flight, how is it – just like you said, how is it that we deal with that? And, you know, I have some things that I do. Number one, I stand up. You know, yeah, fortunately, right. I have a cockpit where I can stand up and walk around a little bit in the cockpit. Uh, I also asked to go to the restroom. You know, we'll go out yes. and and take a break there. And we do you stretch when you I, get up? Do yep. you do anything? Yeah, I try. I try to stretch too while I'm sitting. Yeah, uh, do some stretching maneuvers, that type of thing. But it is good to get up and do some stretching. Uh, and like you said, sucking on the oxygen every so often, getting yourself involved in something, turning yeah. turning the lights on in the cockpit. Uh, that helps. Uh, the toughest thing I find is when you're over, like when I'm flying over the Atlantic, and that's all I see for seven hours yeah. is the dark ocean, and there's no moon, and the, there's a cloud deck. That is the toughest because you can't even Just look at the Just the hum window. of the motors. Oh, and that that is <laughs> that's killer. Oh. So you hope that you're flying with somebody you can have a long conversation with. Yeah. And, and enjoy the flight. So that's one of the things that I'll do. How about you? Is there any, any tricks that you might have as far as when you find yourself getting tired in the middle of a flight? Uh, you, you mentioned that getting up is a good one. And, I, and I'll tell you, the one thing I've noticed too, and we'll sometimes have a discussion about this in the pre-brief, is, uh, you know, hey, you know, remind me to get up. Mm -hmm. You know, because you forget. And, uh, you know, I can think of times over, over the years, uh, you know, where you, you, it's quiet for a long time, just like you described. And you look over and the other guy's kind of, He's kind of going, you know, they say, hey, hey, you know, why don't you get up? You know, so that, that's helped because, you know, we're all human. At the end of the day, let's face it, we're all human. Um, one thing that's interesting in the corporate world, I know of some operators who have a, uh, uh, I don't know what the official term is for it, but essentially it's a napping policy. Mm -hmm. And so they have the ability in the ops manual uh, to strategically through a process 
allow one of them to take a nap. And uh, I've not had to do that. Uh, it's not something that, you know, I just, my airplane doesn't go really far enough for that to be an issue. But uh, I do know people who have used that, and they say it's unbelievable what a 15-minute, like you had mentioned earlier, a little nap, what 15 minutes will do, you know, before top of descent. And that's what a, a lot of folks do with the airlines in augmented crews. When you see like three pilots yeah. in the flight deck, mm-hmm. the one person's sleeping, and that does help quite a bit. Uh, unfortunately, we don't do any napping uh, because we have two two pilot crews. Uh, but that that is something that might change in the future. Uh, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna see about that. The other thing that's interesting, just as far as the safety is concerned, get the whole crew involved, and right. maybe getting your passengers and say, "Hey, listen, I know our flight attendants. They call us and say, hey, how you yeah. doing? Everything okay?'" And, uh, hey, if you were dozing off or starting to feel like you're getting tired, then all of a sudden, boom, you have a conversation going. Yeah, they got a vested interest in that. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. And they'll even call you and say, hey, listen, you need coffee. You know, they're always yeah. pushing the coffee. Hey, you, you know, how are you guys doing? Do you want to come out? Do you want to, you know, do you want yeah. us to come up front, et cetera? So it's, it does work, and it really is, is something that, that has, has helped us is having the whole crew, everybody involved in the flight. Another thing, too, is that you don't realize a, a, a lot of times we're talking on the radio and even in the middle of the night certain routes can be busy uh and yeah, so that yeah. does keep you up especially flying over the middle of the country but uh, yeah i gotta say though I, I red eyes are one of my favorite things to do mm-hmm. uh you know i don't do if i if i did them a lot i'd probably say oh my gosh <laughs> yeah. never again uh i remember when i was commuting doing them i didn't need to do, but but doing them in the corporate world they're actually a fun kind of challenge a kind of you know something we don't do every day so it's fun to get prepped and and you know work through all the logistics and the timing and and, uh, and it's just something different, you know, and uh, so I do like them now. I do find them challenging and fun. Well, Tom, I like them too. I love the the West East Coast red eyes where the yeah. sun comes out. It's so pretty to watch. Yeah, it is. Um, but other types of red eyes. I have a little tough time going uh, up and down to the Caribbean and back on red eye, but uh, it, it's it's all your system and how it works. You have That's to understand right. your body That's right. and, and what works for you and try to get a schedule that works for you. And you know, if, if people are have questions about red eyes and, and how to prepare or anything that we've discussed, I'd love to hear some feedback. Remember, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Uh, I, I think that's about all we have as far as red eye flying. But I, uh, if we have, if you have anything else to add, Tom, or if anybody else does, please, uh, please let us know. Um, Tom is now. Let's move on to a couple other topics. We have uh, some listener mail, and um, but before we get to that, I love, I love the questions. There's some amazing questions from you folks, and um, and I know that you're really you're interested in a career by the depth of the questions and the interest that you have. Um, but one thing I want to mention. And I, I thought we clarified this, but I, we didn't because I know somebody had wrote, written into us. We had talked about, uh, remember we, there was somebody that wrote us and asked about the solo uh, cross-country flying, and the intention is for it to be solo, but uh, the person was asking about bringing along a passenger or a family member, and we were saying, no, the FA says no, they want it to be solo, and that's it. But... But understand this, and this is the part that we left out, and we probably should have mentioned this before, according to FAR 61-129, your solo cross-country should be solo or acting as pilot in command with an authorized instructor on board, but not passengers, okay? So that, that is legal, and that's allowed. That's a change that went to place not too long ago. When Tom and I got our ratings, no, we didn't. you had to yeah. be solo no matter what. But, 
but this has been in place and started actually with the multi-engine and then went on to the single engine from what I can remember. And that is important to know that, yes, you can bring your flight instructor as long as you're acting as pilot and command during that. A lot of it has to do with like insurance, et cetera, but uh, and this, this rule was pushed into place because of that so that people can actually finish up their solo cross countries. And I really, you know, I, I'm, I think we should have mentioned that before, but just make sure you understand that if you're going to bring your cousins or your sisters and brothers-in-law, that's no, you can't do that, but you can bring an authorized instructor. So thanks for uh, one of the listeners actually uh, reminding us to mention that part of that rule. So you can bring an authorized instructor. Um, Tom, do you remember doing your long cross country? Oh, you know, I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, go solo, go by yourself. Yeah. I remember mine uh, perfectly, and it was one of the best days of my life. You know, though, that there are instances, uh, quite a few, where the your school policy or the insurance will not allow it. And I understand, mm. but if you can, try so hard. Uh, to get up there by yourself. That was like the coolest thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, absolutely you loved know, I it. navigated that, you know, what at the time was a huge distance, you know, and, and it just so gratifying and uh, so cool. So You know, I have to say on the solo cross country, uh, it's going to be kind of embarrassing to admit, but I kind of realized I don't like being in the cockpit by myself. I like, I'm a social person mm. and I like instructing and I like teaching and, um, you know, I like, you know, I like just short amounts of time by myself going up there, clear my head. But after a while, I want to chit-chat with somebody. Yeah. Obvious, obvi- that's obvious since I do a podcast, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Having the gift of gab. Uh, so anyway, I just want to clarify that and uh, hope uh, hope the person that wrote in was able to finish up their long cross-country. Well, Tom, we have a, a time for maybe one or two questions here. So let's, go, let's go some of the questions here. Um, it's uh, This comes from... Uh, a person asking about uh, senior pilot jobs. He uh, says, Hello, Carl. I'm a new subscriber. found your Aviation Careers podcast wonderful, timely, and very encouraging. You provide valuable information and encouragement to aviation career seekers, and your experience and knowledge, knowledgeable guests, excuse me, are the real thing and wonderful to listen to. You know, he goes on, I fell in love with aviation at the age of six, and my family and I boarded a DC-3 and transferred to an Alitalia DC-8 jetliner airliner from New York City, Idaho Airport, known as JFK. Uh, he actually got hooked at a really young age, but uh, after 32 years in a different industry, he still has the desire to pursue a flying career with a regional. He continues, I value your opinion and recommendation. It will be very helpful to me and others seeking a second career in flying like me. The, has the has taken that phase uh, ATP written, um, and has one year left under the old regs to take the practical and log of 700 hours. Um, unfortunately, uh, the the RATP does not apply to the students who graduate from a aviation degree prior to the new 1,500-hour ATP rule, so that makes sense. So he has to have that 1,500 hours. To achieve the flight time in a short time frame, I, fl- I thought of flying as second-in-command program in a cargo aircraft, then apply for the regionals. I'm 61 and have no serious medical issues other than corrected vision. I've listened to your podcast, You're Too Old at 50. My question is, am I too old at 60? Well, I'll tell you what. It depends. You, you want to fly for a regional? Of course, you can still do that. If that's your goal, just understand that it's, it's, you're not going to have a long career, but you're going to say to yourself, you can say, that you were an airline pilot. And I think that's probably what you're shooting for here. The other thing that that does for you, and I'm assuming you're going to want to continue flying in an aviation position as a pilot after the regionals, it 
it actually is something you can put on your resume and say to people, hey, I was an airline pilot, and this is the type of flying that I did, part 121. So yes, I would still pursue that, but also realize that there's other jobs out there. And if that is if that is your goal to say, hey, I worked for an airline, then, then more power to you. Just remember there's lots of other jobs out there. Um, can you think of any jobs, Tom? Hint, hint, that you can fly past 65? Uh, I know of I know of, of one, <laughs> and it really depends on... Um, you know, this corporate business is just networking. So mm-hmm. once he's got some time and he's got a network, he could definitely, uh, I know lots. And I mean, it's all over Facebook. It's all over the internet. There's always people looking for a right seater, always in the business aviation world. And and there's the, the second in command time. There's a lot of other situations where you can actually get out there and fly second in command for, say, you know, going pipeline patrol, et cetera. I have a friend that's doing that now, building up time. So, so yeah, you can get some time under your, under your belt just going out there flying. There's other ways, too, um, obviously doing banner towing, et cetera. So. This, uh, this is a bucket list item for this uh, person, I believe. Yes, it is. So it do it. Is. Go I, do it. I would do it. I mean, then, then you won't have any regrets because it sounds like it's been a lifetime of wanting it. Yeah, it, 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 you know, if, if I'm reading this... Right. Uh, it sounds like he's, you know, he's all set financially and he can handle doing this. Uh, go do it. Yes. Definitely, definitely try that out and go go towards that that goal there. You know, I, it's interesting, too. We, we've had so many other questions as far as uh, some that aren't even written in. So uh, keep your questions coming in. I know we're, we're trying to keep these to 30 minutes. I do have one more question I want to get to, and then we're going to have to stop this, Tom, just to keep it under that 30. But uh, this one's interesting. Uh, I've in the last month I've had this question three or four times, so I want to address it. It has to do with your medical. A lot mm-hmm. of folks have asked uh, about the FA medical and what type of class of medical they should get. If you're thinking of becoming a commercial pilot or you're going to become an airline pilot, I would really encourage you to discuss with a doctor the possibility of you passing a class one. And even better, just go ahead and get your Class 1 medical because that will be the requirement for you to fly for a major airline. Um, I know and I've uh, spoken with some people that have had their third class medical and they talked to the doctor and have said that, yes, I, you can pass your first class medical. Uh, but it is good proof for yourself that you can pass that first class medical. And I know that when I first started flying, I did not know I would wanted to do this as a career. I got my third class medical and my instructor did tell me, you know, maybe you should think about going, doing the first class medical. Um, Tom, have you, did you start off with the first class or your third class when you, when you started? Yeah, I was first, uh, only because I had a real intelligent flight instructor told me the same thing. Yeah. So if, if you have, and now let's, let's also clarify, if you have a third or a second class right now, and you did have that discussion with your your medical examiner. He was, or he, she, or she was being honest with you and saying, "Listen, yeah, you can pass the first class medical." Then you know, I, I'd feel very confident with that. If if you really want to be confident, go ahead and go get that first class medical. And make sure you can pass that. Well, gosh, Tom, we we actually have taken up our time here. Uh, we've had just the the question and also about the red eye flying, but I also you know want to talk a, a little bit about some other things too. Um, there's some products you know in, in another show that we do we do picks of the week and that type of thing. We started doing some products every so often. Uh, I want to get back to some of that because I think it's important that you don't just 
you know, involve yourself in listening to this, but you also have tools. And the tools obviously are coaching and, and reading books and seminars. And there is there is a book that I do recommend, uh, and I want to mention it now as far as a product or a pick uh, for this podcast of this. Uh, we'll call it a pick of the week for now. And uh, the book is actually called What Color Is Your Parachute? And it's a 2016 guide. It's the practical manual for job hunters and career changers, which many of you listening are job hunters, but more importantly, career changers. And it really has some great definitive ways to find out whether you are ready for that career change. So that that would be my pick of the week. Uh, I know, Tom, I didn't ask you to become prepared with one, but I don't know if there's <laughs> there's one, a book or a video or something that you might recommend. You know, when you land, and, and I would, this is from a business aviation angle, mm-hmm. uh, so maybe not so much useful for those going to an airline world, but anything outside of that, when you do land a job, a book called The First 90 Days. The first 90 days, and yeah. we'll have a link to that. Tom will give me that link, and we'll put that on the podcast here. What's the first 90 days about? The first 90 days is, is how to set yourself up to provide maximum value to that entity that just hired you uh, so that you know they are getting their bang for their buck out of you, and you are quickly uh, attaching to the flywheel and, and, and ingraining yourself in the culture and knowing how things work. Uh, it's it's a win-win for the employer and the employee. It's it's an outstanding book. And it has nothing to do with aviation, but in the business aviation world, you know, flying is a very small part of business aviation. There's all the back end stuff and the admin and the and the uh, uh, everything that goes into getting that business aircraft off the ground. This book tells you how to plug into those systems because they're just they're just corporate systems that are in any business. It just doesn't need to be business aviation. The first 90 days, uh, it actually came recommended to me by a chief pilot at a large company. And I read it and uh, I, I, I'm looking at my copy right now and uh, it's highlighted. It's a, it's a great book. That's awesome. I think I'm going to grab that book and start reading it. It's, it's something that's really important to everybody, no matter if you're in the airlines or you're yeah. corporate yeah. or any type of job. You're going you're gonna to need to find a job somewhere and you have to bring value to that company. Yeah. Uh, and you'll stand out right away. I mean, you know, you'll, there's, tips and tactics in there to help you not to stand out to be politically hey you know I'm a superstar but so that you're actually delivering what they hired you to do interesting great book and and again we'll have that at the bottom of the uh, actual podcast here as a link well Tom this has been great I'm glad you made it this evening and we're definitely going to have you back for some more questions and answers and that'll be actually the next show is all answering some of your questions if you have questions and we haven't answered them here they are in our queue and what we're doing is we actually ask the oldest ones first to the newest obviously Uh, so keep them coming at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com also uh, if you're interested in scholarships there are, they are out there, and we keep adding more and more. We have a, a growing team of individuals that are helping us add more and more scholarships. The scholarship of the week this time is actually the 99 Southeast section, and it's called the New Horizons Scholarship. And this scholarship uh, is offering $2,000 uh, to a female applicant for training and achieving any level of flight training from private pilot and beyond. I know there's a lot of people have been asking, you know, that, there's no real scholarships for private pilot in particular, uh, but there's scholarships that are available that allow you to get your private pilot certificate. Uh, the link to this will be at the bottom of the show notes against the 99 Southeast Section New Horizons Scholarship. 
Well, Tom, this has been terrific. I, I, it's always wonderful to speak with you. Uh, Tom's always very inspirational to me, uh, especially when, when I'm having certain challenges in life. And, and Tom has been somebody that's been through quite a few different challenges himself, moves, different jobs, layoffs, etc. and has All part of the survived. adventure. Yes, it is. And it's really an adventure. I'm glad you said that because it truly is your attitude when you look towards any career what you bring to it is that attitude the attitude of achievement and positive energy so you can have, you have a choice you can turn on your negative energy you can turn on your positive energy and that's kind of what i want to leave with you tonight you know i always tell you to do something today to move forward in your career what i want you to do is this i want you to think about some of the things that you do that are turning on your negative energy towards your career and towards those around you and what you do to turn on the positive energy and move forward. What I want you to do is this. I want you to take the negative energy and those things that you're doing that actually produce negative energy and get rid of those. And just think about the positives. Think about what you can do to bring something towards your career, towards your family, towards what you do in your flying career, or whatever it is you do. Think of something that will add and enhance that career and that career path, and try to focus on that. So Control what you can control. You got it. You got it. Say, and, and, and your internal language is so, so important. What you say to yourself and what you say to others is what you'll become. You know, it's it, whatever you believe, whatever you read, whatever you speak about, it's what's what you're going to produce. So let's try to produce some positive thoughts and positive speech and move forward in a positive manner. Because it is so worth it. It is. Well, Tom, once again, thanks and also... Thank you for listening, and I hope that you got something out of this. I'd love to hear some feedback on uh, on our new format as far as doing this in 30-minute uh, increments. I know a lot of you folks want more of these to come out, and this is how we're going to do it. Well, folks, fly safe. Remember, be positive. Add positive energy to your life and your career, and we'll talk to you next episode. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved. 